0: Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica.
1: And I'm Abhishek. We're a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser known mysteries of Indian culture,
0: interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Everyone, Jessica, back here after a couple weeks hiatus. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. This month, we had promised that we were going to be back and all about adoption. So the next two episodes are going to be featuring the stories of three individuals who have all experienced adoption from different angles. Each one involves South Asian family members in a cross-cultural setting. But each story is unique, and each of the three people are in a different role. I asked three friends the same questions and their answers are all fascinating, unique and worth hearing. First of all, today you're going to hear from Jacob, adopted from a Tibetan Nepali family at a young age to the United States. He later, as an adult, moved to Nepal for a job and was able to reunite with his family in Nepal and build relationships with them, learn Nepali and get involved in the in community development. One thing he doesn't mention is that he was in Nepal during the terrible earthquake a couple of years ago and has terrifying <laughs> yet hopeful stories from that experience, but maybe we'll share those for another episode. Our second guest is a friend of ours, Mahi, who is an American-born Gujarati and her husband, who is also Indian-American. After having two biological children, Mahi and her husband felt committed to adopt across racial lines. She and her husband are both deeply committed in careers which interface with oppressed African-American communities in a large metropolitan city in the U.S., They're in the process of adopting a beautiful black daughter into their bustling family. Our third guest is Melinda from Australia, who lived in India for many decades. She and her husband started a school for underprivileged children in South India, and during that time adopted two children who are now teenagers. We'll hear more from her in our next episode. Why am I highlighting adoption? Well, I'm really passionate about adoption. My own father was adopted in the US and having so many friends who have gone through the process themselves, either as a parent or as an adoptee, I've been able to see the up close and personal challenges and I wanted to hear from them and give some more representations of their stories. One other thing before we get into the episode, one of our listeners, Paula from Helsinki, Finland, alerted me to a petition which is going around, which helps families in India who are really desperate and who are um, not able to take care of their children to learn about adoption. This petition is really just interfacing the people who are in absolute desperate need and otherwise whose children would probably be abandoned or would just die of starvation. This is not enticing people to adopt that don't just have maybe more kids than they want. This is really for people who are in desperate need. So I'm going to put link, a link in the show notes, and if you would sign that petition and join us in that initiative, it would make a huge difference in helping families across the world. Okay, so first let's hear from Jacob. So Jacob, can you give us an introduction of your story, where you're adopted from, and what was your situation growing up?
2: I'm Jacob Wheeler. Before I begin, I would like to kind of just lay down some different terms I may use while sharing my story. Uh, one is that I refer to my parents uh, who adopted me as, as just my parents, and any kind of relatives from my family in Nepal, I talk in, in terms of biological family. And that's kind of just the terms that I feel comfortable using and use throughout my story. So in terms of my adoption, I was adopted in 1994 from the country Nepal. I was born in a family of three boys, Uh, my older brother Cheering, my younger brother Chet, and I was the middle child. My biological parents both sadly and tragically uh, died, so my relatives actually came from the capital, Kathmandu, took myself, my younger brother, and my older brother down from the village, which is in the Manang Lamjung district area of of Nepal, and brought us down to the capital. We were always living with them, um, so I'm really thankful for that because I was always kind of surrounded with family and not separated. But I was only living with them for about three months. At that point, kind of enters in my, my parents, Jack and Debbie Wheeler, and then also my sister. My sister did not come for the adoption but she, she stayed back in the States waiting for us to, to come back. Parents came there for a number of weeks, just doing some paperwork and so forth. And my younger brother was actually being adopted at the same time but by a different family, but also from the States. After all, everything was completed, my parents took me back to the United States. And that's really my first memory of life. So I don't remember anything before that, but The first thing I do remember is kind of like meeting everyone and being greeted in Columbus, Ohio. In terms of just growing up, I grew up in Marion, Indiana, uh, which is like an hour north of Indianapolis. It was a pretty normal childhood, I would say. I grew up in a very Christian, predominantly very much so white kind of culture neighborhood. My hometown is... Not very diverse in terms of lots of Asians or American or, or white community, mostly with some Hispanics as well. Having Asians around me wasn't really something that I experienced often at all. Uh, my friends and everything like that were kind of just reflective of my community. And so I grew up with my older sister, Laura, became very good friends uh, initially. I'm thankful for, for her and having her as as a good friend as adults now. And I, I grew up going to kind of Christian school and starting in kind of middle school all the way through high school. And then I went to college, my hometown as well, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University.
0: <laughs> so what are some of the annoying questions from people that you find yourself hearing over and over again?
2: One annoying question that I get sometimes is where are you from? And I typically respond with just saying I'm from Indiana. People follow up saying, you know, where are you really from or where are your parents from? And I just tell them that they're from here in the United States. They're, you know, white Americans. Definitely annoying to me because it seems like they don't really think that I am actually American or they think maybe I, you know, my parents immigrated from, from somewhere.
0: You have such a positive story, but I just wonder if there are any challenges of transnational adoption that you want to share with us.
2: A challenge, I would say, of transnational adoption, I think, is really identity. For me, that's probably one of the biggest ones. Not because I necessarily struggled with that growing up, thinking I wasn't part of the family or anything like that, but more so just maybe as more of an adult, I think. And thinking through this, it's more of that identity of what I grew up with and that nurture piece of how we become who we are as adults, too, and and what that set forward for me in terms of how I saw myself as as white and I still gravitate towards that uh, culture much more than I do any Asian or any kind of Nepali culture. As I've had experiences living and working in Nepal as an adult I've been able to understand what being Nepali means a little bit more and the culture and the language and so I'm really thankful for those experiences but it's still not home to me and so I think that's always going to be some level of maybe tension there but it doesn't have to be bad tension but just something that hopefully over time and as you know someone processes and for myself this is still a work in progress too but it's more of just an understanding rather than something that is a bad tension but i definitely think identity is one of the most challenging pieces so in terms of coming to grips with nepali identity i think for me as i've wrestled with this more And as I've read other people's stories and podcasts and things, I've recently been reading and finished All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. It's been really cool to listen to and read other people's stories because I think it's it's really not this question of necessarily coming to grips with your Nepali identity or your Korean identity or your African identity or wherever you were originally adopted from versus you know who you were nurtured by in that community and culture but it's really I think for me at least more so being okay with whatever your identity is and you feel comfortable with but yet I hope it's also just embracing as much as you can and feel okay with embracing the other side of of yourself and so for me I don't feel even after having lived and worked in Nepal and lived with my Nepali relatives, my older brother for a little bit, getting to know the language and working with Nepalese for five years. It was really eye-opening. It was really fun. I got to understand more what it was like to be Nepali, but yet I realized more and more that I'm really not really truly Nepali in culture. And so I'm proud to be able to identify as Tibetan background and Nepali, but that's more so, I guess for me, at least identifying that I am that, but who I really and culturally identify with is being American and being more of part of the the white community, but I can celebrate and embrace and acknowledge and understand more of what being, I guess, Asian and being Nepali and Tibetan means now, which I'm really grateful for. So I think for me it's just been a learning process of appreciating it what Nepali and being Tibetan means, and taking the time to be able to to understand that.
0: I'm sure that it will be easy to answer the next question. What is a unique joy of being transnationally adopted?
2: I think a unique joy for my adoption specifically is really the fact that I've been able to stay in connection and relationship with my biological brothers. My younger brother, Chet, and my older brother, Cheering. And so I really think that's a unique joy. One, because my adoption was open. And plus, throughout the years, starting when I was in elementary, I started becoming pen pals with my younger brother. Over the years, we started writing letters, and I'd go actually visit his family. And I remember the first time when we met when I was still in high school and he was in like middle school, how awkward but also how nervous I was and how excited I was that I was actually gonna meet him for the first time. Then kind of coming to present day where just a few years ago he and his mom were in attended my wedding. And so I, I just think it's it's amazing joy that my family has continued to grow and that definition of family has continued to grow over the number of years, because it's not just my mom dad, and dad, my sister, and obviously their extended relatives and so forth. but it's this growing family of my Nepali cousins and aunt uncles and then my brothers, even as my older brother cheering, who's living in Australia now, he and his wife just had their first child. And so now I'm an uncle, you know, that's kind of a whole new layer and new thing that we're experiencing there. And so it's just really, really cool, a blessing to have this growing family and for me to be able to know them and them to know me. And so I'm really thankful for my parents and my younger brother's parents, my older brother too, as we've all slowly but surely have allowed each other into our own lives and and I'm really grateful for that.
0: I'm so thankful for Jacob and his willingness to share his story of transnational adoption. Let's jump in and hear from our friend Mahi, who is a South Asian American mother to an African American child. Hey friend, I am so glad that you're able to share with us and share with me today about your adoption process. And I really wanted to invite you into this conversation because you guys, you and your husband are Indian American, Gujarati American. And yeah, and you have intentionally placed yourself in relationships with a pretty diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. And you've also, in addition to just placing yourself You've really sought out relationships with people that are different from you, mm-hmm. and and that's just something very admirable and something a little <laughs> bit unique about you guys that I don't. Yes. <laughs> I don't see a lot of other Indian couples or Indian American couples doing mm-hmm. it intentionally as you have. So yeah, I'm I'm really thankful for you guys and your perspective. Thank you. Yeah, so if you could share a little bit of a background for our listeners about your situation and your your kids their ages and your desire to adopt a child from outside of the indian community
1: yeah adoption has always been something that i have felt i wanted to do long before I met my husband long before I was thinking about getting married. Just just something that I felt like I was in my heart since I was old enough to think about having kids. I don't know why. I don't I don't personally know anybody that was adopted or I didn't have any friends that were adopted when I was growing up, but it just felt like something that I was being called to do. And so then when I met my husband, um, we we talked about it and he seemed to be, you know, kind of on board, kind of maybe this is something we want to do, maybe something we don't want to do, but wasn't completely against the idea. So fast forward a bunch of years, we got married. And then after a couple of years, we, of course, started talking about family. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we had decided we definitely want to have our own kids and we want to adopt. We got pregnant And we had a son. And then after our son turned about one, one and a half, we started talking about, well, what's next? Do we want to have another biological kid or do we want to adopt um, or start that process? So we met several families through our church who had adopted or fostered children. And so we kind of started the conversation with talking to them about their experiences and how adoption worked for them. And we met quite a few families that adapted through the foster system. We kind of decided that that would be a better route for us just because we did intentionally decide that we wanted to adopt a black child because both of us work in a community with predominantly low income black population. We have a heart for the black community and we just felt like this is something we, we want to do to learn more about the communities, to give to, back to the community, and to have a child that is different from us Mm to, like you said, kind of mentioned in uh, the intro to just learn more about other cultures Mm -hmm. and to intentionally expose ourselves to different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so we started the fostering process in most states. You have to apply for a license and you have to take classes and you find an agency. So we kind of started that. And then Throughout that process, we got pregnant again and so I had another, another boy. At that time, we had gotten licensed and we were ready to go. Way, the way it works is you kind of get a call at any time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so we actually, because of the foster system is sometimes moves very slow and things get lost in paperwork mm-hmm. because it's a bureaucracy. Um, we kind of got shuffled around for a while. And then finally, oh, about a year and a half after we got licensed, we got a call for a placement for a 19-month-old girl. Mm. And so we, we got a call Wednesday morning, and I picked her up Wednesday after work. Wow. Um, and so she is still with us today, and she is the same age as my um, younger son. And so they're <laughs> just about two weeks apart. Oh. So I have a five-year-old biological son, a three-year-old biological son, and a three-year-old foster daughter, whom we are hoping to adopt. Because it is a foster system, you know, there's a lot of court dates and it has to kind of go through the legal process, which it doesn't always turn out for adoption. But in this case, we're working towards that because of our the shutdown. Things have gotten pushed back a little bit, but we're hoping in the next six months to a year that we'll be able to officially adopt her.
0: Mm it's so exciting and so much anticipation behind that and yes yes yeah we are going to hear more from mahi next time about the rest of her story her family incorporating indian traditions into their blended family so please listen in next time and be sure to check out the petition that i mentioned at the beginning of the show in the show notes take care everyone and be sure to listen in for part two.
1: The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Henley on
0: Tabla, on rag Bheem Palasi.